I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking, no pyramid schemes. This is Above Black, Beyond Belief. In this episode, we're going to look at Project Preserve Destiny a supposed U.S. government program to communicate with alien beings discussed by intuitive communicator Dan Sherman, whose book Above Black, Project Preserve Destiny, is all about his time in this supposed project. The book has gone through a number of editions. Mine is the one from 2001, but Dan and his book first appeared on the scene in 1997, along with interviews on Art Bell's and Jeff Rentz's widely distributed radio programs. At the turn of the 21st century, as the disclosure movement picked up speed, he had another run around the interview circuit with uh, with that crowd. So today, let's examine Above Black, including, no, not including, this is, uh, you know what show you're listening to, especially with emphasis on the bizarre pyramid scheme sales strategy um, marketing program that accompanied this book. It's, um, It's beyond belief. Okay, so what we know about Dan Sherman is not a lot beyond what he's put in his book or mentioned in interviews. He served for 15 years, I think, in the Air Force, earning a number of commendations, served in the first Gulf War. At the time of the 2001 edition of his book, he was, quote, married with no children. Not sure why just married wouldn't have worked, or Sherman lives in an undisclosed location with his wife-slash-husband-slash-Japanese cartoon character Body Pillow. Married with no children just sounds oddly abrupt, like answering a question no one asked. Anyway, one of the most interesting things about the book is the fact that it's not very interesting. The revelations that are presented by Sherman are a bit banal uh, compared to other UFO stories out there or narratives that posit a government cover-up of contact with alien beings. This is in contrast with the press release that launched the book. Project Preserve Destiny, insider account of an alien government cover-up. Spending 12 years in the United States Air Force, D.L. Sherman became deeply involved in one of the most classified projects in military history. His involvement was more than just a military assignment. It was his life. He and a handful of others were chosen before they were even conceived in the womb, in cooperation with the U.S. government, to be genetically altered for the purposes of being able to intuitively communicate with an alien race whom our government has been in contact with since 1947. In Project Preserve Destiny, insider account of an alien government cover-up, Mr. Sherman chooses to break the silence that has gripped the military classified community for 50 years so that the river of alien-related information can finally begin to flow. Now, Sherman seems to be aware of the relatively unspectacular nature of the story and of his own limitations as a storyteller. The book begins with this. It was a cold, dark night when the screaming, headless man came bounding around the corner, carrying his own bloody head in one hand and his trusty sword in the other. The sentence you have just read is the only piece of fiction contained within this book. This is a non-fiction book. As such, it is not written to entertain, but to inform. 
please don't expect this book to be a Pulitzer Prize winner either. I'm not a writer by trade. Well, he's got the undersell part down. I'm pretty sure I've never picked up any UFO book expecting a Pulitzer Prize winner, but I appreciate Sherman's self-awareness here. One thing I find interesting is the fact that Sherman does not seem to believe that the information about military contact with extraterrestrial beings that he's going to share in this book that was sort of, you know, promoted in the um, in the uh, the sales pitch actually has any national security implications. As far as I'm concerned, the information I know relating to Project Preserve Destiny specifically has absolutely no impact on national security. Perhaps if they had been more forthcoming with the truth and made me aware of a greater goal that did impact national security, I wouldn't be coming forward today. But they didn't. So here we are. That seems to be a pretty strange way to sort of explain that you're not breaking any laws or rules, but rather giving away information that is probably perfectly fine and that you won't get prosecuted for. He goes on to explain how the classification system works in order to prevent information about the aliens from making its way into the public. When someone is assigned to an alien project, they are also assigned to the collateral black mission, cover mission. One of the reasons for this is if someone were to reveal any alien information, by extension they would most likely reveal something about the cover project, and it would be on this basis that someone would be prosecuted for divulging classified information. By setting it up this way, the government is able to effectively silence and discredit someone without ever having to acknowledge the existence of the alien project. Hopefully, I will avoid this scenario by methodically unfolding my story. This actually sounds like a pretty sensible thing to do, Um, and it's probably not too far from the truth, presuming there is any secret alien information out there that the government is attempting to keep from the public. Being able to prosecute somebody and shut them up without ever having to mention aliens, flying saucers, or other similar things would be pretty handy. But as you listen to Sherman's story and the things he talks about, I would have to think that at least some of the things he discusses would be considered something he could be prosecuted for talking about. But what do I know? I'm not in the Air Force. So, Sergeant Sherman was an ELINT person, electronics, intelligence, technician, analyst, something in the Air Force, something to do with electronics, signals, intelligence. In the early 90s, he was selected to do a training course at the National Security Agency. And when he gets there, he learns that he is not only going to be undergoing the course he thought he was going to be taking, but also another course, a secret course. Why him? Well, as suggested in the press release, it seems that this is what he was born to do. To put it bluntly, Sergeant Sherman, in the summer of 1960, your mother was visited by what the world commonly refers to as aliens. Sir? Was the only thing I could manage to say. Random tests were being conducted on the general populace at the time to determine compatibility. I was in a state of utter disbelief when I asked in a weak, cracking voice, Compatibility? Yes, actually, it's a long story. I'll try, I'll try to explain as much as I can, but there's much that even I don't know. In a nutshell, you've been given an interesting ability through what we call genetic management. Nothing like just sort of jumping in the deep end. So in his mind, Sherman is contemplating the deeper meaning of all this, presumably while Captain White is still talking. That's his name, by the way, Captain White. This is what Sherman is thinking. 
If this was true, then all those years of boyhood wandering had just been validated in one fell swoop. There was life elsewhere, and we were not alone in this vast universe. Was I dreaming? Could this really be happening? I had heard rumors through the classified grapevine of alien craft experiments in Nevada and the testing of new weapons based on alien technology, but this was no longer a rumor. This was reality. My reality. So when Sherman quits cogitating about the profound mystery of all this, Captain White explains exactly what he'll be doing. We call it intuitive communications. It's an ability to communicate through the intuitive manipulation of your mind. There have been a handful of people since this ability was perfected that have utilized this skill within the military establishment. There are many others throughout the general world populace that currently have this ability, but until it is brought out by proper exercise methods, it lays dormant. Now, what this is all going to end up looking like is a cross between psychic communication and, and kind of like remote viewing. And it's, it's like remote viewing, I think, if you're familiar with that from listening to people like Ed Dames on Old Coast to Coast or whatever. It's like remote viewing in the sense that it's applying a protocol of methods and techniques, uh, something a, a sort of standardized way of doing things to something that's usually considered more of an inherited ability. And indeed, in this case, um, is inherited, sort of implanted, inherited kind of. Uh, Captain White goes on to explain a little bit about the broader situation and, in doing so, ties things back to some familiar extraterrestrial territory. In 1947, the U.S. government made contact with an alien species. Today, we commonly refer to them as greys. Because of this contact, we've learned many things. Some of the things we learned were good, and some not so good. And it's one of those not-so-good things that has ultimately brought you here, Sergeant Sherman. What those not-so-good things are sort of comes later, kind of. Um, one of the things we'll, we'll find as we, as we look at Sherman's story is that Sherman doesn't know the whole story of what's going on, and he's very open about that, which is a little refreshing. Captain White eventually gets around to telling Sherman and us about Project Preserve Destiny. It started in 1960 and was fully operational by 1963. It was a genetic management project with the sole purpose of cultivating human offspring so that they would have the ability to communicate with the greys. Your mother was initially abducted in 1960 for tests, then again in 1963 for the actual genetic procedure while you were in the womb. Sherman's ability to communicate with the aliens that the Air Force is pretty sure he has is the result then of this Project Destiny, uh, or Project Preserve Destiny, this manipulation. Now, at first it said that it's confusing because he says your mother was abducted by aliens in 1960 and then you know this is something we developed to communicate with the aliens. So what's going on? Around the same time that the book came out back in 97, um, Sherman did an interview with Sightings Magazine pr promoting the book, and he explains this a little bit more. As it was explained to me, Project Preserve Destiny began in 1960. This was, is a project with the goal of genetically manipulating human offspring so that they would have the ability to communicate with this alien species. It's a joint effort, alien-human, in cooperation with one another. I'm unclear as to the real reasons for this cooperation. 
I was told it was to provide an an ability to carry on high-level communications during an impending electromagnetic communication outage on a worldwide basis subsequent to a major catastrophe in the future. It seems like he should have mentioned this in his actual book. So Sherman has some additional questions, but uh, Captain White is continuing his presentation unabated. I was expecting pictures of aliens and other science fiction type stuff. Instead, I was treated to a healthy dose of facts and bullet points. That the revelation of amazing alien technology, contact, and a 50-year cover-up of the same would be presented to a service member in the form of a boring PowerPoint might be the most realistic thing I've ever read in any UFO book ever. I don't even think that's hyperbole at this point. There's a verisimilitude to the idea of 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 this poor sergeant sitting through a boring slideshow uh, that you realize contains earth-shattering information. Um, And I don't think I've seen that in one of these books before. Sherman does, you know, have some questions, and and the biggest one is whether or not he is actually human because of this project. And the captain assures him that he is 100% human despite the genetic manipulation that took place during the gestation period. Although he continues to have questions, he's told that answers would come in time. Often, they don't. The next day, he begins his training, and as readers, we go through the same level of minutiae as he does as he is inducted into the program. We are told how long his elevator ride is. We are told how large the room was that he was in. We are told there was a pitcher of water on the table. We are told that he was given pills to take. Now, the pills will be a recurring thing, and unless I missed it in the book, which I might have, I don't think we ever found out what the pills were for. Um, They seem to be some sort of pill for enhancing the communications ability between these intuitive communicators and the aliens, but they never really say that. We also learn exactly why the government is keeping all of this a secret. That's a good question, Sergeant Sherman. My guess is that the information being kept from the public, if released, would create instability to world markets and the global equilibrium of power that is so unstable anyway. I had read that this was one of the reasons the government kept alien information a secret. It seemed too much of a canned answer to me. Indeed, he said it like he had memorized the answer. The captain went on. I'm sure it's not so much the specific knowledge that aliens exist that's the problem. It's more like the information that we have gained from communicating with them that would create havoc if released. That seemed a bit more believable, I thought to myself. Does it? I guess it would depend on what the information is. We will find out some of it, kind of, eventually. So, at this point, we're getting into the middle third of the book or so, and it takes a very sort of boring turn, in my opinion. He's going to school to learn how to intuitively communicate with the aliens, and that part is actually pretty interesting in the sense that he explains what the sort of key educational tool is. Imagine a sine wave, sort of a a swooping line that curves up above a straight horizontal line, back below it, and so on, sort of a sound wave sort of thing. Sherman explains that what they have to do is use their mind to sort of replicate the sound of the sine wave in their mind, that tone, and then adjust in their minds to flatten the curve on the screen. That's the best way I can sort of explain it using way fewer words than Sherman did. Eventually, his training is over, and he's sent to the first of two bases he will serve at. He doesn't tell us where the bases are. He simply refers to them as PPD Base 1 and PPD Base 2, PPD meaning, obviously, Project Preserve Destiny. 
there's a lot of rigmarole about how he got to the base, how long he had to wait for his final clearance to arrive, what buttons to press on the keyboard and what mouse buttons to operate and everything to run the communication system. And it's fairly boring for long stretches. But then we get to some details about how the communication actually worked, which we will get to after this break. Okay, next time, it's think tank time as we look at that monolith of the Cold War era, the Rand Corporation, and a report it did on the UFO question. You can check out past episodes, read some reviews of saucer-related stuff, and support the show at saucerlife.com. You can also support us through the link in the show notes. Thanks very much to those who've donated in the past. It's much appreciated. And um, with some donations I've received, I've just today, as I record this, ordered from um, a used bookseller on Amazon a copy of a book called The Scoriton Mystery about the possibility that George Adamski came back after his death. I've been wanting to get a copy of this book for a long time. So there will be an episode about this uh, when, when the book arrives and I've, uh, I've digested it. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Saucer Life, or you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can contact us by post at Media. P.O. Box 68, Grand Blank, Michigan, 48480. And we are available anywhere you can find podcasts. Okay, let's get back to Dan Sherman and Project Preserve Destiny. Okay, so how did this communication work? This is what Sherman has to say. A com would begin with what I called the preamble. The preamble consisted of the same sequence of numbers that differentiated very little. I would always receive a three-digit number first, which was the number that identified me to whoever the information was going to when I sent out my report. This number was 118. There would be timed pauses between each phrase or expression. The pause was always the same. I never got the stopwatch out, but the rhythm of it was constant so that it was evident it was the same all the time. The pause was probably about three seconds, except for the pause between the comm that would tell me to prepare for information string and the time the information string would begin. This pause would be as long as it would take me to prepare to receive the comm. After the number 118 would be passed, another string of numbers would usually follow. This string would be a five-digit number that varied but often was repeated in other messages. I called this the zip code because it had five digits, not because it related to a location necessarily. After these eight numbers, however, there was no rhyme or reason to the comms most of the time. A sample comm at this point would have looked similar to this. 118-6755-9955-9955-00-4000-4-74-77899-05-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-9400-
of doing the communications and operating the controls on his computer terminal almost on autopilot. While doing this, however, he somehow skips a level, to use his phrase, into a higher plane of communication with the alien being, who by this point he had nicknamed Spock. Is this an unauthorized comm? I asked. There is no harm in communicating on this plane, he said nonchalantly. I was surprised by how effortlessly he had said that. Here I had been sweating out the fact that I might have been doing something wrong, and he acted as if it was no big deal. How come you are calming so candidly on this plane, and you don't during our normal calms? I asked. You have never given me reason, he replied. I stopped to think about this. It was true. I hadn't attempted to ask any questions or to communicate anything except what pertained to our regular comms. I had always assumed we were not to discuss anything else. My impression of Spock was one of being official, with no room for emotion. Even as we now communicated on this other plane, I still felt a sense of rigidity. Perhaps this was just how they were. Despite the alien's cold and emotionless nature, he decides to push on and try to learn more about them. Pressing forward with my curiosity, I asked whatever came to my mind first. Since I was thinking of how formal Spock sounded, I continued with that line of thought. Do you have feelings like humans? We are quite alike in our emotional makeup, 118. We react to our surroundings just as you do but are much less impacted by what we sense. In the absence of markedly increased stimuli, emotion is not readily useful. Although Spock was eager to talk to, or at least willing to talk to Sherman, it was very unusual for the the intuitive communicators, the humans, to actually have the ability to jump to that level of sort of verbal communication rather than strings of numbers. So there's no communication to Sherman from Spock for a while, and um, he's transferred to a second assignment as part of Project Preserve Destiny, and there he starts to have communications again, but with a different alien, this one he nicknames Bones, because why not name him after another Star Trek character? Bones seems to be more willing to communicate openly than Spock was, and Sherman takes the opportunity to ask lots of questions about the alien's perspectives on things. For example, the nature of time. I asked if they can travel through time. For example, can they go backward or forward in time? He told me that it was not possible to witness a reality that occurred in some other time but the present. In order to go back in time, one must assume that there exists a reference point from which to measure backward or forward. This is an impossibility. Essentially, they weren't able to travel through time, but around time and from time. I never really understood what Bones meant by this. And really, neither do I. How about interbreeding? What, uh, what do the aliens have to say about interbreeding? I stumbled across a piece of information during one com, but I can't quite remember what the line of conversation was about. I do remember thinking that they had interbred with humans at one time. Maybe it was another species of alien. I can't remember. But I feel it is quite possible there are people living today that are descendants of interterrestrial pairings. My suspicions are, if this is true, that the Basque people of the mountains between Spain and France are the most likely candidates in the search for their progeny. I have read that the Basque language has no identifiable roots, and that they are also genetically different from all other humans on the planet. As far as I can tell from the scientific community, they are a human anomaly. This could explain why. Uh, 
this Basque thing pops up from time to time in, in alien and paranormal stuff because there there are some, you know, differences. The Basque language is completely unique. Um, however, in 2015, uh, there was a study published that uh, suggested that um, the Basque people are probably um, probably descended from a mixture of farmers who had migrated uh, migrated west um, from another part of Europe and sort of indigenous hunter gatherers in that part of what we now call France and a bit of Spain. Um, so you know to say they're not genetically related to anybody. Well, yes, they are. Um, they're genetically related to farmers who lived between 3,500 and 5,500 years ago. But to be fair, Sherman wouldn't have known that when he wrote this because the study was just done, um, you know, a few years ago. Now, one area that the alien bones was not very forthcoming about at all was his opinions about Project Preserve Destiny itself. This reluctance was tied into another concern that Sherman had, which was about a van that had followed him around during his training, and it seemed to be connected to a company that was researching noise cancellation technology. And Sherman says he never quite figured out what the connection was between all of this, the aliens, the noise cancellation tech company. But I was thinking... And given that that auditory tones and, and these sine waves uh, were part of his training and related to communication with the aliens, noise cancellation sort of fits into that. Maybe the NSA and this company were working on a means to sort of shut down communications with the aliens somehow. You throw a big switch to just cut the connection between the intuitive communicators and the aliens by isolating some certain frequency. Say, you'd have to do this if one of the communicators, like Sherman, went rogue or something. And then Sherman began to get some communications that kind of disturbed him. And these were about supposed abduction events that were taking place. It was three or four months after my promotion that I received what appeared to be my first abduction-related comm. These comms would begin like all the other comms, the sending of the normal preamble information, but the rest of the comm was completely different. There would be other items in the comm, including such things as potentiality for recall, residual pain level, nerve response, body normalization, and other more obscure things I can't recall because they made no sense. 118 slash 23576 slash subject 10023202036 slash 940107 slash 0430 slash potentiality for recall 72 slash residual pain 21 slash nerve response curve 63 slash body normalization 97 slash 03835N14503E slash 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 having figured out which parts of these number sequences were latitude and longitude coordinates um, sherman discovers determines that um, once he gets his hands on a map uh, like he said before we didn't have maps there in the office or whatever um, once he sort of starts to put the pieces together he begins to realize that all of these abductions are taking place within the united states these are americans being abducted and his job is to basically just help catalog these things and he begins to get a little um squicked out by this squicked out as a, a technical term, a little bothered, a little perturbed. He's also um, feeling like he's just sort of a puppet or a, a tool or an instrument. Um, he's just doing what he's told. He's being told to take these pills. Nobody can tell him what these pills are for. Um, 
he's being told to do these communications. He's not given any indication of the bigger picture. He's been isolated from, from family and friends. His, his workstation is basically a terminal inside a van. Um, he wants to leave not just project destiny, but the air force. He doesn't want to be part of a process that might be harming his fellow citizens. So he requests an early discharge, but is denied. And further, he's told that since, quote, he had been officially indoctrinated into PPD, end quote, it would be impossible for him to get out even when his enlistment was over. So, which, that's weird um, and sinister. So he had to come up with something else. The way I obtained my discharge is not a secret. Anyone can look into my military record and see the reason emblazoned on my discharge papers. But certain self-incrimination legalities prevent me from discussing it here. Anyone who has a dire need to rid themselves of the military can use this method, but I don't advise it. It has left an indelible mark on me, and I regret being forced to use such drastic measures. However, this is the only method I could use that would completely shut out the authority of my PPD chain of command. Indeed, upon turning in the paperwork that eventually led to my discharge, I immediately stopped receiving comms, and I was never again contacted by anyone in the PPD chain of command. It was as though I had dropped off the face of the earth. What? What the hell did he do? Now, there's some... There's an implication here that, you know, this being slightly before the don't ask, don't tell era in the 90s, um... We'll see some of the criticisms of basically that he declared himself to be to be gay and that got him thrown out. Um, he would later deny this, but um, he doesn't offer any sort of explanation except anybody can see it. It's right there on my discharge papers. But from what I found, nobody's come up with these just discharge papers where this is emblazoned. But considering they weren't e- willing to let him go, even when his enlistment would have expired, I'm having trouble conceiving of something that would have gotten him kicked out of the Air Force so badly that they would have said in, in Project Preserve Destiny and the National Security Agency, well, we were going to keep him against his will, but uh, I guess uh, I guess we can't now because he did this thing. Um, it's weird. Sherman closes the book by admitting that it's not an entirely satisfying narrative. Unfortunately, the story of my experience doesn't come in a tight little package with no questions left unanswered. I wish it did. One thing I can say for sure is that I truly believe I wasn't told the whole story regarding my role as an intuitive communicator. I think you can probably surmise the same thing after reading the book. So what is the entire story? That I don't know. Are we in for a meteor strike that will leave the world electromagnetically limping so much that we will need the IC's abilities? Only time will tell. I can only write what I experienced and hope that someone out there may know other things and through a cooperative effort, we may be able to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together. The introduction to an earlier version that is quoted in the press release that launched the book um, closes with the phrase, after reading Project Preserve Destiny, you'll know why I say, take comfort in their presence. I don't think this phrase is in my edition. I didn't see it anyway. And I'm not sure what comfort we're supposed to take from all this, honestly. Before we look at some of the response and critique of Sherman's book, um, a response to and critique of Sherman's book, I want to highlight the interesting, interesting is the best word I can use right now, um, the the interesting way they attempted to market it. 
On the old UFO Mind email list run by Glenn Campbell, who's best known for um, his Area 51 Desert Rat newsletter and um, basically being an Area 51 expert, uh, Campbell provided a rundown of how it worked. He actually emailed the publisher and said, give me information about this this great um, way you're selling this book. The publisher was called Word of Mouth Publishing, which is a good name for it, as we'll see. Um, And he received this in response. And my carny huckster tone of voice is going to get a workout here. I'm going to try not to make it too overwhelming because I don't think my throat can take it. If I had a dollar for every time I recommended a book to someone, I'd be rich. This is not a business opportunity in the traditional sense, but it is a good way to make some extra dollars. How many times have you read a good book and told someone about it? All of us have. What do you receive from the book publisher when your friend goes to the local bookstore and buys that book based on your recommendation? Zero. All you get is the satisfaction of knowing your friend was introduced to that great book through you. That's it. What does the publisher get out of your recommendation? Profit from the sale of the book. All of us are in the pocket of Big Publisher, recommending books without ever getting compensated for our opinion that someone should read a book. What's that you say, listener? Somebody should do something about this? Somebody has. Word of Mouth Publishing has a different approach. First, they control exclusive publishing rights to high-profile books, books that appeal to a mass audience due to their controversial or newsworthy content. Second, they market these books to the public through a network of readers. That means you and me. The readers participate in the profits generated by these exclusive books when we recommend the books to others. As mentioned earlier, they have exclusive rights to the books they publish. That means you cannot find them in any bookstore in the world. They can only be ordered through us, the readers. Can you imagine if people had to go through you to buy a book on the bestseller list that's selling 50,000 copies a week nationwide? Just imagine if you were benefiting from some of those sales. Only selling books through the people who've already read the books sounds like the worst way to sell books I've ever heard of. And this 50,000 copies a week example is so stupid because no book sold this way would sell five copies a week, let alone 50,000. Okay, so ignoring all that, let's say I'm interested. How does this work? How it works. You look up the company's website at http colon forward slash forward slash www.spiritone.com slash tilde wmpub slash wmpub.htm, since you presumably have internet access if you're reading this, and go to their order form. Follow the instructions and be sure to write my reader number, 1782, in the appropriate place and send the order off to the company. They send you back a copy of the book in pre-release now and a blank order form with your reader number filled in so that you can make copies of it. Then you start giving this personalized order form out to people so that they, in turn, can order the book and receive their own reader number. The process repeats itself, etc. This is not a business opportunity. (laughs) No, no it's not. It's simply a way to make some extra cash by reading a good book and then telling others about it. Sit back and see what kind of checks come in the mail afterward. You have absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain. Quite simple if you ask me. You are paid based on the book sales on your 13th and 20th level. In other words... Okay, I usually don't pick on typos that much, but... In other words is spelled another words. A-N-O-T-H-E-R-W-O-R-D-S. In other words, this isn't a typo. This is somebody not knowing the phrase in other words is a phrase. Um, 
this was 1997 unless they were using i think was 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 dragon um voice to text software available if so maybe that explains it but wow okay typo break over in other words you tell someone about the book then they tell someone and so on whoever buys a book 13 levels down from you you receive 15 percent of the amount they pay for their book Say it's $20, which it will be after pre-release. For every person who buys the book on your 13th level, you would receive $3. And if you continue to buy every book the company releases after you join, you will receive 10% of the price of each book sold on your 20th level. This is turning into the kinds of story problems in math class I had complete nightmares about. It continues. Let's look at how that could turn out. Now, remember, you're not selling soap here where everyone has to buy $50 a month to qualify and so on. This is a one-time purchase of a great book that will most likely be making headlines because of its content, and you simply tell people about how to get it. That's it. You tell five people. Five. They tell three. Fifteen. They tell three. Forty-five. Etc. One hundred thirty-five. Again. 405, again, 1215, again, 3645, again, 10,935, again, 32,805, again, 98,415, again, 295,245, again, 885,735, again, 2,657,205. At $3 a piece, that's $7,971,615. Okay. Okay, now let's come back to Earth. Of course, this won't happen because word rarely spreads so uniformly and results will vary according to how many people buy the book. But you can see how you could have a great deal of people on your 13th level if you tell a few people who tell a few people, etc. Especially if you see the whole world as a potential buyer of this book. Even though it'll only be printed in English for the time being, the company will ship it anywhere in the world. And if you use the internet as your method of spreading the word, how can you go wrong? There is perhaps no sentence that screams 1997 more than, if you use the internet as your method of spreading the word, how can you go wrong? There's just a bit more. Thanks for bearing with me. Because as you'll see, this is the exciting part. And this is the exciting part. The book being released soon is titled Project Preserve Destiny, Insider Account of an Alien Government Cover-Up. The company is being tight-lipped about a lot of it right now, but according to their webpage and other sources I've talked with, this book is going to blow the lid off the whole government conspiracy community and shed light on what is really going on finally. Be sure to visit the website to see what they say about it. It promises to be one hot seller, and you won't be able to get it in stores, only through us. Is that an opportunity, or what? This is an exclusive product with worldwide appeal, and the only price to participate is the price of a book. Is America great or what? My reader number, which you'll need to order your book, is 1782. They started at number 1000. That's how ground floor this is. For more info and ordering, go to their website at http colon forward slash forward slash www.spiritone.com forward slash tilde wmpub slash wmpub.htm. Good luck and happy trails. Why did they start at 1000? Who is writing this? How are there 782 readers shilling this book if it isn't out yet? How does this scheme signify American greatness? If the only way to get this book is through other readers, why 
does it have an ISBN number? Why, why would, isn't that a useless expense if you can't order it through book distributors? There's more questions than answers here, but I, I think the, the key takeaway is this. UFO might just as well stand for unprecedented financial opportunity. That's right, Jane Pauley. Interestingly, my edition of the book, the 2001, and the most recent version of the website don't have any mention of this nonsense. So, so what was the reaction to Above Black? There wasn't really much of one broadly. Maybe it was because you could only buy the book from people who already owned the book, or because the story itself wasn't particularly groundbreaking, or it just got drowned out in the sea of ufological okay, awesomeness, I'll say awesomeness, that existed in the late 90s. But apart from a few interviews on radio programs and, and some websites, there wasn't much reaction. Now, an anonymous army electronics intelligence officer, supposedly, uh, had some critiques of Sherman's story that were distributed through Glenn Campbell's mailing list. And there are some specific criticisms of technical aspects, computer programs and such, but also more general concerns, such as if Sherman was genetically manipulated to have this ability, why did he do other jobs in the Air Force for a decade or so before starting with Project Preserve Destiny? Why didn't they just, you know, pluck him out of the recruiting office or high school or wherever and put him right in there? Also, no one has ever heard of Project Preserve Destiny. The name shows up nowhere. Um, while Sherman's tale sounds plausible, he provides no actual evidence to back up any of his claims, although Sherman would probably agree that he provides no evidence. So why is Sherman doing it? This is what our anonymous critic thinks. We believe that Mr. Sherman is motivated by a desire to make money by marketing his tale. A secondary reason may be to justify his discharge for homosexuality. He may have been unjustly accused. This would be a way of getting back. Sherman would deny there was any sexuality-based reason for his discharge, but I've not been able to, you know, like I said, find actual documentation of the true reason. He would go on to uh, give an interview with Project Camelot in 2007 and some other outlets. There are some links in the show notes if you want to know more. As a bonus, if you read all of his interviews, you've basically got no reason to read his book, which, you know, could save you some money. My personal impression of this story is that I, I, I think he was probably doing something, and he might have been told it was aliens, he might have been told he was genetically manipulated, but the pills and the fact that he really wasn't given much information that was usable in any way um, and the fact that he was able to, to to get out of the air force relatively quickly um and when I, when i read this i was just put in mind of old mash episodes with corporal clinger putting on a dress trying to to you know get out of the korean war that way that uh, sort of the impression that i got um despite the fact that they were going to keep him on after his enlistment was up sherman you know is able to just do something that he's not proud of and, and get out so I, I kind of wonder if if this was some sort of, oh gosh, here I go to this well again. If this was some sort of mind control thing or manipulation thing or disinformation or something. Um, in an interview with, uh, with that interview with um, Sightings Magazine, he claimed that it was absolutely not disinformation because he was telling the truth. But that doesn't, you know, sort of obviate the possibility that somebody had not told the truth to him. It's a weird story and it is just unspectacular enough 
to make me wonder. Uh, he's not claiming to have been an officer who was exchanged for an alien officer and he served on a spaceship while they served at Andrews Air Force Base or something. Um, he's just a guy who exchanged strings of numbers and some conversations with some aliens that he gave Star Trek names to. It's just boring enough to be plausible, if that makes sense. Thanks for listening. The associate producer of The Saucer Life is Simpson J. Hanover III. The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media, LLC. Chizo Media, working for the good of mankind along the lines of truth. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. <laughs> <laughs>